Halka, Mechawipe, Chanel Nachihi. Hello, let's talk. My name is Chanel. Welcome to another episode of Indigenize, a podcast created by the students of SDSU's Native Resource Center. The NRC is a cultural center that serves the Native American student population and students who are a part of the American Indian Studies Department here at San Diego State University. If you follow our Instagram at SDSU Native RC, you will see exclusive previews of upcoming episodes as well as opportunities to be a guest. This episode's topic is a little different. Initially, we wanted to present an answer to Columbus Day, why it's stupid and who we should celebrate instead. But when it came down to it, we wanted to shift the focus towards issues that matter more to indigenous people. We'll discuss Christopher Columbus for a bit, but that's mostly to address the elephant in the room. Hi, my name is Ayana Tiger, and I'm a San Diego State student, and I am Choctaw, Seminole, and Creek. Our topic this week is why Columbus Day is stupid. Definitely, I agree with you. Uh, Christopher Columbus definitely is stupid, and celebrating him is uh, definitely wrong and unjust because of all the history um, with him and indigenous peoples and the subjugation and the, the murders and the torture that he inflicted on native people was very horrific. You know, I, I first learned about Christopher Columbus in elementary school, and you know, we sing that song in 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and it wasn't until community college that I, I, I really uh, learned about Christopher Columbus and his his true voyage and how he, um, how he interacted with indigenous people there, and that really changed my perspective, and I was kind of frustrated when I, when I, I took a native history class and I was learning about Christopher Columbus, you know, kind of like, why wasn't this taught before in elementary school like why is this why do I have to come and pay for an education to learn about the truth and then I think it, it comes down to patriotism a lot I think um with the United States uh, government and the education systems they try to cover up a lot of history to make themselves look better just to sugarcoat stuff and I think it's wrong because it miseducates people more to your point I mean what class did you learn this in it was a it's a Native American uh, history class. Is that like a class that you think like everybody's going to take? Like Oh, definitely not. <laughs> like you have to take like a special class mm-hmm. to learn like what really happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this similar experience when I took early American history from like the Native American perspective, but like all of the same historical events but from the other side, it was so different. And there's so many people that just don't know the information because it's not required of them to know. Yeah. School, we're not taught about us. Mm-hmm. And this is America. Mm-hmm. Like, you think that you teach about, like, the native people of mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. But history doesn't start until Columbus got here. Mm-hmm. So pre-Columbian history is not taught except for in electives. Mm-hmm. It's a big debate with teaching um, Christopher Columbus and about him in elementary schools, but better to tell the truth or not tell that at all. Honestly, like, kids handle a lot. Yeah, that too. They can... Like, you are underestimating children if you think that they can't, like, think that they can't handle, like, the truth about Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he should be a footnote in history anyways. Mm -hmm. I understand, like, that's the way that the education system has been built here in America. It starts there. You wanted to read one of the voyagers. So back then, in um, you know, 1400s, and um, they uh, they wrote everything down back then. 
So that's kind of how uh, a lot of people deny Christopher Columbus being this hor horrific man and doing all these horrific things, but uh, you know, all his crewmates were writing down everything he was doing and, and what they saw. And um, one of them is, uh, so this is from a, a quote from a crewmate on Christopher Columbus's voyage. He says that they took infants from their mother's breasts, snatching them by the legs and pitching them head first against the crags or snatched them by the arms and threw them into the rivers, roaring with laughter. So he would take um, babies and, and mothers and uh, he would throw them into rivers and um, back then they couldn't swim either so they'd throw them to rivers and then they would, he would feed them to dogs. And then another one from a crew member on um, one of his other voyages, they made some low wide gallows on which they hanged, on which they hanged victims' feet um, almost touched the ground, then set burning wood at their feet and thus burned them alive. It's amazing that um, he's glorified the way that he is, especially considering though that's that's what scholars would consider like historical fact is journals written by white people. <laughs> So like no matter what kind of stories came from indigenous people, like that right there ties into their actual uh, definition of like what like historical evidence is. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all of this information and um, just like wanting to be a part of this and everything. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to have an opportunity to speak on uh, you know topics like these and use my voice and share my voice. The week of Indigenous Peoples Day, October 11th through 15th, 2021, the Native Resource Center at SDSU hosted a week of action. That means that each day we highlighted one issue that relates to Indigenous people and had an action directly related to that day's topic. Um, so I am Chris Medine. I'm the Native Resource Center Director. Okay, so I guess on Columbus first, there's like so much to say about him, you know, like, I guess the thing that I want to say first is that he recorded all of his atrocities thinking that he would get praised for the things that he was saying. And so if people really want to understand what he did and why he shouldn't be celebrated, information's out there. He wrote it himself. <laughs> um, people noted you know, the, the horrific things that he, dis he discussed in his journals, you know, thinking he was going to come back and be a hero um, for discovering all this gold. And it was like, no, wrong. Like, he came and to a place where he didn't really have gold either. And so the things that kind of stand out to me is just the amount of cruelty he had in his methods like who like enacts such horrific things onto people who he described as kind you know and like he cut off people's hands and made them wear them around their necks for not getting enough gold like well that also doesn't make a lot of sense now they can't find gold because they don't have hands cruelty for the sake of cruelty 
Yeah, it is. It was literally sports to him, and it's like terrible to describe people in that way. But it's like it really—that's how he wrote about it. And I mean, there's so much about child abuse too that he he discusses in his journals. And so, like I said, all that stuff is out there, and I encourage people to go out and actually do that research because it's there. Yeah. So he doesn't deserve a holiday. No. Hell no. <laughs> So, in response to not having Columbus Day anymore, because I think San Diego is one of the cities that officially replaced it, right? With Indigenous Peoples Day? Yeah, I can't remember when. Okay. <laughs> Here at San Diego State, at the Native Resource Center, for this week, uh, we have Indigenous Peoples Day Week of Action. Yeah, so we've had a, a long history, just the Native community here on, on campus at SDSU of protesting Columbus Day uh, because you know for a long the longest time up until this year you know it's been mostly recognized as Columbus Day instead of Indigenous Peoples Day and so there's always been demonstrations uh, trying to share uh, that information on why we shouldn't celebrate Columbus but also why we should celebrate Indigenous people instead and um, just through the years of continuously doing that and um, trying to discuss with people these facts, we've learned that we need to we need to do more. We need to try to um, entice people to take actions in supporting our communities because everyone's really eager to like learn about our cultures, our histories. Um, but I think that's where we fall short in a lot of senses we haven't been able to move a lot of folks into action. Um, and it comes up a lot in recent years because we've had these protests against pipelines. This last summer, we've been um, you know, uncovering unmarked graves of, of children at boarding schools, and we need people to do something now. Like, they have information you have so much information in your hand, in your pocket, in your bag, through your phone, right? And we just need need people to actually do something now. And so um, whether that's donate, find or, or uh, share resources with folks, or um, promote things on social media, show up in person to certain protests, these these things uh, we can find something for you to to do related to the issues that that are harming our communities well said um so the first event that we had uh the first event was um a continued discussion on boarding schools could you kind of explain what what the boarding school what that means sure so um it was, it is, I think it's been really important to talk about boarding schools and you're right to like get people to understand what, what's happening. Um, boarding schools were in short, like created to assimilate, um, native people on the masses. Um, the idea, which was also rooted in, in racism and cruelty was to um, kill the Indian and save the man. And they could do that by taking them away from families, 
teaching English, teaching them the way of the Bible um, in a lot of ways, in a lot of uh, different boarding schools um, were set up as, as religious schools. And so um, that's kind of in a really brief <laughs> uh, summary what, what was done at boarding schools. And, and there's so much cruelty too that's happened. Um, but mostly it, um, right now we're focusing on the amount, amounts of death that happened like children didn't come home and that's what we want people to understand and why is because they didn't speak english they spoke their their native languages they didn't assimilate and sometimes maybe they got sick maybe they were killed they were abused on you know these things that were actively done to them by the people who are supposed to be protecting them in these spaces. Um, that means, you know, government agents, that means religious um, figures like priests and nuns, you know, these people who are in charge of the boarding schools. Um, and so bringing that into the week of action, um, we want people to know this history about boarding schools hear from uh, survivors and um, find a way that they can share information, be angry with us, be sad with us, but find a way to reconcile, to bring back um, that actionable uh, portion. You know, there's so much that, that we can do but mostly right now, it's like just continuing to expose what's happened. Um, and, you know, some of the last boarding schools that were government or church ran, um, you know, closed in 1990s. So, yeah, we, we um, you know, for Monday, we talked to uh, Juana uh, Mihal Dixon, and uh, she was a survivor of boarding schools. And so it was just... Um, very powerful to hear from her, um, her firsthand experience of what it was like, um, and to hear her messages that, you know, she wanted to share with, with, uh, youth, college-aged youth, um, on hope and resilience and, um, kind of what we should be doing next, um, and so I think it was really powerful saying like outside of the native communities um i don't think a lot of people really think about this stuff so having an entire week to sort of highlight these things and put it out there for people to see and be uncomfortable and sit with that yeah is so important yeah and i would say that that's that's a, a major goal of this week um it's like we want this space for allies to be here to understand what they can do. Um. Hi, thank you for talking with me about um, this very important week. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Jennifer Clay Halito. I'm from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. I'm the uh, Assistant Director of the Native Resource Center. And um, what I'm uh, talking about today is the um, presentation on Tuesday, October 12th. We had invited two 
of the substance abuse counselors at the Kumeyaay Wellness Center, uh, who's affiliated with the uh, Southern Indian Health Council. And so they physically came and we held an event in West Commons where um, substance abuse counselor Ron Northcutt, uh, just a wonderful gentleman uh, who's been working in Indian country for many, many years and talked about some of those experiences and how much worse it is right now as far as uh, fentanyl overdose, as far as the increase of opioids in Indian country. And uh, he made one statement that really uh, sat with me is that we aren't able to practice our culture right now because we're constantly burying our loved ones. And it's our culture that keeps us strong. And so he said, you know, he's asking for more help. He's encouraging those in the audience, those students to, you know, think about this path because there is such a strong need for uh, abuse, substance abuse counselors in Indian country. That's so true. I think um, my, my own tribe, like we, I think we've had like 11, mm. like every weekend there was a wake and a funeral. Every weekend. And so you're just emptying out and, and grieving and, you know, being together as a community, but in, in such a difficult way. Uh, and normally you have a time to um, regroup and be with your community and get strength and practice your culture, all those things that are a part of our resilient factors, but you know when you're burying or attending a service every weekend, it, it just makes that much more difficult mm -hmm. to rely on those protective factors. Um, after Ron spoke, we had um, Julie Wuchak, who is also a substance abuse counselor, and she is also a, a certified trainer in Narcan training and narc Narcan dispensing. So this was our actionable item for this event. So can you um, talk on what Narcan is? Yes, yes. Uh, as best I can, uh, Narcan is a drug that um, will very quickly kick out uh, the opioids in our receptors and replace it with the Narcan. So a, a individual who is overdosing will go into immediate withdrawal uh, with the inhalation of the Narcan. Um, and so there's a, a 30 minutes, I believe, that you can get this person help before the opioids uh, replace the Narcan in those receptors, those brain receptors. And so um, her training uh, for that day was a PowerPoint presentation on what Narcan is, how the opioids work, uh, how Narcan uh, kicks them out of those receptors, um, how to care for the person, you know, signs and symptoms of an overdose, um, how to dispense the Narcan through the nose, and uh, what to do uh, if that's not enough with a first-time dosage. You can do multiple dosage. Uh, she talked about how it wouldn't help a person if they were um, intoxicated with alcohol or on any other drug. It only works if the person has been taking and overdosing on an opioid, on fentanyl. So she had a lot of information and statistics on how fentanyl overdose in Indian country and 
in the county and in the U.S. has just magnified uh, at, a, at a very high pace. So uh, we all received the training, and then Ron and uh, Julie dispensed uh, 60 Narcan kits uh, to everyone in the audience. They could take as many as they needed. Um, she had a, a ton of information on how to dispense, uh, but also some of the detailed information on the, those drugs. And uh, we do have some left over, and we are housing them here at the Native Resource Center. So if there's anyone that uh, would like to receive the, the kits, we are more than happy to share those. Uh, there's also a, uh, through the SAMHSA grant here on campus, and I'm going to get their name wrong, but it's Wellbeing and Health Promotion, I believe is the name of the, the department, that they also, through the SAMHSA grant, can dispense Narcan kits. There is a small training that they ask that you go through, you know, just to, they do have some steps that they need to go to that are grant specific. Okay, so that's specific for San Diego State campus? Yes. Okay. It so, is. So people in San Diego County area, are there places here where they can go to get yes, the Narcan? Yes, there is a ton of resources, and I'm from getting off the top of my head, I'm not looking at the list, but there... Uh, the county has several links that you can request Narcan kits. They've tried to make it as accessible as possible. And then if you attend any of the Indian clinics in the areas, all of the pharmacists uh, keep that on hand and will freely uh, give that out for any families or individuals that uh, need it. If you have a family member that uh, has been using fentanyl or you're worried about them overdosing, it is a good idea to have these kits on hand. Um, is there, are there any other statements, anything anecdotal that you would like to share? I think the one thing I think is important that uh, Julie brought up in her training is if you're at a party and there's drugs and there's alcohol or there's underage people, but there is someone there that's overdosing, California has the Good Samaritan Law. So you need to call 911, and if you hopefully have the Narcan on you to dispense it to this person that's overdosing, you know, you have a good understanding of the signs and system symptoms, and you can tell that they're overdosing. Under this law, you will be protected. You're not going to go to jail because there was drugs and alcohol there, or you were doing something illegal. You were saving a life, and so... Uh, she did stress that the California Good Samaritan Law is in place for that. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me about all of this. It's a pleasure to be on again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. My name is Dr. Gabriela Covas Sanchez. She, her, hers, and I am the faculty scholar for the Native Resource Center. So on Wednesday, October 13th, we hosted... Uh, simultaneously a virtual film screening and then a Q&A with the film director. So the film is called 499 and it was directed by Rodrigo Reyes. And so in the synopsis it says to reflect on the 500 year anniversary of the Spanish conquest of Mexico in 2021, director Rodrigo Reyes offers a bold hybrid cinema experience exploring the brutal legacy of colonialism in contemporary Mexico.
Through the eyes of a ghostly conquistador, the film recreates Hernán Cortés's epic journey from the coasts of Veracruz to the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan, the site of contemporary Mexico City. As the anachronistic fictional character interacts with real-life victims of Mexico's failed drug war and indigenous communities in resistance, the filmmaker portrays the country's current humanitarian crisis as part of a vicious and unfinished colonial project still in motion nearly 500 years later. The purpose, I guess, for setting up this event was twofold. One, uh, I saw this film uh, earlier this year in the San Diego Latino Film Festival. And also the filmmaker is a good friend from high school. Shout out to Merced High. <laughs> and I found that the film really interesting in terms of talking about colonialism and its legacy in Mexico today. And so this is a concept that I talk about in a lot of my classes and how colonialism isn't just an event that happened that we need to get over, right? Because it's something that has been deeply embedded in society over the last 500 years to the point where many of us live and breathe it and may not even recognize how coloniality persists, right, on a daily basis and the way we interact with each other, but of course through our institutions. And so the film itself essentially is about this conquistador, this soldier, conqueror, that somehow travels in time, right, and finds himself in present day. So the, the, the concept is that he washes up on shore, his uh, memory prior to washing up on shore is as a soldier in the takeover of Tenochtitlan, which is now, which we now call Mexico City. So the conquest of Mexico, per, per se. Uh, and so he goes and, and talks to different people, particularly what I found very interesting was when he goes, um, he has an exchange with different uh, indigenous communities and thinking about kind of that juxtaposition of colonialism and the resistance of indigenous peoples. So I thought that it was a good conversation to have for Indigenous Peoples Day, and specifically for those of us who have a connection to Mexico, to think about our relationship to colonialism and in what ways have we internalized the conquistador as well, right? Uh, and so as we are trying to uplift indigenous narratives and epistemologies, what does it mean for contemporary indigenous communities? So I mentioned that it was twofold, right? So uh, in one way, I wanted to uplift these conversations. Um, the other reason was I wanted to have a collaboration with the Latinx Resource Center because there's a lot of a lot of our students have intersecting identities, and of course, that's kind of at the core of, of my work, is uh, looking at indigeneity from a his hemispheric lens, right? So thinking about indigeneity in Latin America, and also what does it mean to be indigenous uh, and live in the diaspora. So in this case, in the U.S. So it was a really good opportunity to have the Latinx Resource Center collaborate on this project with us and also bring folks from different spaces on campus, different populations, to converge and have this conversation. 
So we were lucky to have the filmmaker, Rodrigo, um, participate in a Q&A. And the Q&A um, was a collaboration, again, between the LRC and NRC. Santino Arellano, who is <laughs> one of our program assistants at the NRC, uh, represented our center and um, developed questions for the director. And the LRC did the same. They had um, uh, one of their graduate student assistants, Mariano Lozano, um, come up with some questions as well. And so they interviewed Rodrigo um, during the Q&A and they asked excellent questions in terms of his analysis. And Rodrigo was fantastic in elaborating a lot of these conversations that came up from the movie, right? Thinking about the role of colonialism in, in our daily lives as people who are from Mexico and challenging kind of what do we mean by patriotism and, and challenging that when we know that some of the national structures have been incredibly oppressive towards indigenous communities. And so it was a great conversation. The recording is available now and we'll be posting it also on the Native Resource Center page so folks want to check that out, they're more than welcome to. Uh, and then we just wrapped up the, the event again because it's a week of action. Uh, the action item that I asked our audience to think about was having these conversations with their loved ones, with their family members. Because we see a lot of these anti-Indigenous perspectives come out in our homes, right, or with our family. And so as we are all engaging in an unlearning process and decolonizing, I, always, I encourage folks to do this also with their family, to have these conversations with their family. Uh, and so I shared a anti-racist resource list that I developed a year ago that's completely in Spanish. Uh, and the point for that was because I've had a lot of experiences where students are learning and naming oppressions and experiences, and they want to talk to their family about it, particularly those that come from Spanish-speaking homes, but they may not necessarily have the language or the vocabulary to do so. So the point of the Spanish language resource list is for them to access information or share information with their Spanish-speaking loved ones so that we can actually get that conversation going. And even just like the word decolonization, for me, I mean, I'm an older student, but it was a new concept for me. It's something that I just didn't have a name for. And I brought it up to my own father when we talked about because like you were my teacher before. And so like you introduced me to this term. And so when I brought it up to him, we still had kind of had this idea of like you, um, I mean, like you spoke on it today, but thinking of colonial colonialism as something that happened in the past. And so, like, decolonization, is, it was, my dad was very confused and was like, what, what are we going to do? Just, like, send all the white people back to Europe? Is that <laughs> what you're talking about? And, and I didn't have an answer for him because it's like, like, no, but, like, I mean, like, the film. Yes. And bringing up these conversations about what colonialism looks like today and how we can uh, embrace decolonization in our day-to-day -day lives and having that conversation with our families is such an important piece because it spreads the, the information and it 
it normalizes the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And it brings these words into our our lexicon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is an act of decolonization, right? Is is naming things, is being able to name them. And I think the other thing, too, is many of us may already be practicing forms of decolonization. We just haven't named them that way. Do you have any, like, finishing remarks that you would like to share or but I mean I like if, if somebody was interested in seeing the film where would they go to see the film you know most of the people that I heard talking about this film said that um, it was amazing that um, they want to go back and keep rewatching it there were parts that were just hard to watch but um, yes. overwhelming just just positive feedback on this film Where this film will be next is by following Rodrigo on social media. Um, You can follow him on Instagram. His Instagram is rr underscore cinema. And you can find their information on his upcoming screenings and, of course, future future events. Thank you so much for speaking with us about this. Thank you. I appreciate you doing Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Hi, I'm Tamara Strohauer. I'm the Indigenous Social Workers for Change Project Coordinator for Southern California. And I also teach social work here at San Diego State. And I'm super honored and humbled to hang out with our Native Resource Center, our Native students, and support Native students in EY. And I'm an alumni of the American Indian Studies Program here at San Diego State, so it's always wonderful to be with everyone. Can you speak a little bit about the Silent Witnesses? Yes, so so the Silent Witnesses were brought to us by Vice Chairwoman Wendy Schlater from La Jolla Band Luceno Indians, and they reside at Avelica, her program for domestic violence, and they represent missing and murdered relatives from our communities, murdered relatives from our communities. Um, There's a mother who was seven months pregnant when her life was taken, a mother and her child. Um, Each of them are dressed very specifically to honor the spirit of that relative and their stories are written by their families and we have, you know, that that writing around their neck um, to tell their story. It's they're, to me, they are incredibly sacred for us to care for and to be entrusted with. And having um, that, that kind of almost real life representation of people from families in our communities and that realism of the lack of understanding and knowledge that as a greater society exists to honor our relatives who are gone is tremendous. And to be able to have them here in the Native Resource Center and with us all week so that our students can learn about this, so that our community can learn about this. Um, And I'm really excited for the event today. So um, Wendy Schlater and Paula Julian um, did a did a webinar with me last spring for our for the social work program and they just do such profound work in community in raising awareness and helping people and 
we know that the domestic violence and addiction and everything that goes on in community, you know, is the result of genocide. It's the result of the taking of children. It's the result of generation after generation after generation of children being raised in institutions where they were beaten and harmed and then sent back to the reservation from the boarding schools to raise families without being held, without being nurtured, without their language, without their cultural ways, and how that plays out in generation after generation, that intergenerational historical trauma that results in the harm, um, the results of people knowing that no one's going to look for them if they harm an indigenous person in the way that other people are looked for. I, I heard on NPR the other day, they did a, a piece on missing and murdered indigenous women and I was so excited to hear it, but it was heartbreaking to hear the, um, it was a, an advocate speaking about um, a, a particular case where um, the woman went missing. And I believe it was her husband that was like, look in the lakes, look in the lakes, look in the lakes. And they went everywhere but the lakes to look. And so finally, like a year later, they went looking in the lakes, they drugged the lake and found her truck. And she was buckled into the passenger seat. Oh, Jesus. And they ruled it, uh, whether it was an accidental death or a suicide, but it was... Buckled into the passenger into the seat. Passenger it's a suicide. Seat. Right. They right off. That's the end of the case. So, I look. I I know about the movement missing and uh, murdered Indigenous women, but hearing the stories is so profoundly upsetting. But to have this particular group of people, Indigenous women not be heard, not be looked for, not to be cared about other than from just their their communities. Like it's it's heartbreaking and it's ugh, infuriating. Yeah. One well, and today we'll be talking about missing and murdered indigenous women and relatives. So I'm very honored that we'll have Vice Chairwoman Schlater with us today and Paula Julian, who's the Senior Policy Specialist for the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. And they do such profound work, both of these women. Um, Vice Chairwoman Schlater is also one of the directors of that program as well. So they are advocating, they are researching, they are following up, and they are, you know, boots on the ground in, in bringing solutions and bringing healing. And I'm just so excited that we're gonna to get to hear from them today. So honored to be with you. Um, I also just wanna honor all the families and all the relatives um, whose stories are told. And these children and these women whose relatives um, continue to miss, mourn, and tell their stories. And the importance that of what we're doing here in bringing all of this knowledge to our campus to our students and to our community. Thank you so much for your time. You're so welcome. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who was able to come out and participate in SDSU's NRC's Indigenous Peoples Day Week of Action. Thank you again for listening to Indigenize SDSU's NRC's podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Okay, bye.